0: Coach Brad here. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about the Chasing Poker Greatness VIP newsletter. Hopping onto the VIP newsletter is the absolute best thing you can do to ensure this plucky little podcast keeps going indefinitely into the future. When you sign up, you'll get exclusive behind the scenes Chasing Poker Greatness content, access to the private Chasing Poker Greatness Slack community, notifications for product launches, entries into monthly free coaching giveaways, and much, much more. So if you're wondering what the absolute best thing you can do to support your favorite poker podcast, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash VIP and access the newsletter today. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash VIP. And now, back to the show. Welcome, my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest is poker pro, streamer, and lawyer, Jared Smith. Jared is a full-time grinder who lives in a grind house in Las Vegas with former Chasing Poker Greatness guest, Brian, the golden blazer, Frenzel. Before we jump into the show, I know you hear me emphasize the importance of community in your poker journey over and over and over again, but it is such a critical thing not only for expediting your growth as a poker player, but also in, quite frankly, maintaining your sanity. Because, let's face it, it's inevitable that this game we all love so much for some ungodly reason is going to play every single dirty trick in the book on your mind and make you feel so disoriented, you won't be able to tell the difference between what's up and what's down. But when you have a close-knit group of friends who genuinely care about you, you get unbiased feedback and support when you desperately need it the most. If you wait until you hit rock bottom to start building community when you need the support the most, you've already waited too long. So with that said, in today's show, you're going to learn how starting a Twitch stream can literally shape your entire life, the importance of having a significant other who really understands the game of poker, the two MTT stops Jared says are commonly recognized as the softest in the entire USA, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you professional poker crusher, Jared Smith. Jared, welcome to the show, sir. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure, man. I want to be upfront with the audience before we get started. That I, I got a massage today, and I'm exceptionally calm and chill on these days. So <laughs> if I'm more laid back than normal, just you know, take that into account. I want to start out by asking you about your story. What's the story about how you got involved with playing cards?
1: Uh, yeah, so, um, kind of just grew up, like, learned the game from my dad, kind of similar story to a lot of other people just playing, like, you know, you know, nickel and dime poker, basically, or playing, like, $5 sit and goes with friends and stuff like that. Um, I remember, like, I remember, like, when he told me that a guy named Moneymaker had won the WSOP main event, I was like, that's crazy, whatever, uh, so I like watched the coverage after that and everything, and it was just kind of a fun little hobby. Uh, started playing. I really didn't. I, I had a PokerStars account pre Black Friday, but I only played free rolls. and like, I don't think I ever deposited on it. I only played free rolls and maybe like one cent, two cent, or something in my college
0: dorm because I didn't have any money. And, How old are you, by the way?
1: Uh, I am thirty. Thirty.
0: Okay. Just trying to get so, get, a, get a timeline. Yeah.
1: And so I did that. So it was just like a fun, again, just a fun little hobby, stuff like that. Played some home games in college and then uh, went to law school in 2012. And during law school, like that was was post-Black Friday, kind of during law school is when I really started playing online when I was messing around with some of the like offshore sites
0: and stuff. And, you know, slowly. What led to that? what led to messing around online while you were in law school?
1: So I had moved from, I'd moved from Chicago to San Diego. And so I didn't really know anybody there. So it was kind of boredom initially, just kind of before I had met a bunch of friends and everything, just something to do. Also, there were some classes that we had to sign an attendance sheet and they were essentially worthless to go to so I'd sit there and, and play uh play during the lecture and stuff like that so it's kind of a time killer
0: type thing more than anything back then was there any thought of like actively making money doing this was this a goal it, it, no it was like
1: it was like something fun to do and I'd throw you know a hundred dollars on the site and play like eleven dollar tournaments or something like that it was just something that was fun and I enjoyed doing I thought maybe if I could like break even or make a little bit of money. And I think you always have that sort of, especially playing tournaments, you always have that score mentality in the back of your mind, but it wasn't really like a dream or anything like that. It wasn't that big of a
0: passion initially. Right. Uh, Tell me about law. So why'd you go to law school? Uh, Yeah. So just always kind of wanted
1: to be an attorney. That was just a, a interest thing that I sort of kind of came up from my upbringing a bit. My dad is a real estate investor and landlord and he does all of his own, basically all of his own legal work that involves, that comes with that, you know, the evictions, the, you know, real estate transactional stuff, everything like that. He's always just pretty much done his own, you know, he, he sort of fancied himself a, a, a lawyer without a license, so to speak. And, uh, so I kind of grew up around that, was interested in that stuff, and ended up deciding to go to law school and actually became an eviction attorney uh, for for a few years is, is basically what I did because it was the business I knew and it was you know easy enough to sort of translate there. Yeah, easy enough to get started. Mm-hmm. So are you still a practicing attorney? I am not. I'm still licensed actually. So we just moved to Vegas. Uh, so I'm not licensed in Nevada yet. Uh, but I am. I think my license lapsed in California. But I am actively licensed in Illinois, and uh, I will. I will go ahead and. i not. I haven't really looked into it, but basically, once you've been a licensed attorney for more than I think it's like four or five years in a state, you can pretty typically they'll they like wave you in to practice law in that state. So I wouldn't have to like take another bar exam, but I have taken both the California and Illinois bar exams. And, uh, so yeah, I, I probably will get a license here, but I don't, I would, I would say I do not actively practice, but I do things for family and friends and, uh, some stuff that interests me. I would actually, uh, I had actually offered to, to Mac uh, for standing to, do some contract work on the possible case. Cause that was something, you know, very much of interest to me. So if that had moved forward, I may have done some uh, contract work for him down the line, but unfortunately, as you know, that, that one did not move forward. So.
0: Yeah, it did not, did not pan out. Um, mm-hmm. so how do, how, how do we go from killing time during lectures and spending all of this, you know, money on education fulfilling this interest that you've had growing up to be a lawyer how did you go from that to becoming more immersed in playing a lot of poker
1: that's a really good question <laughs> not not exactly sure of the answer kind of looking back like where that exactly happened one of the big things so when i was playing online and everything i sort of I ended up becoming kind of a part of a community it was a it was an alt-crypto-based site that was it was like a meme currency, Dogecoin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with I am, it.
0: I am familiar
1: with the Doge. Uh, so I ended up becoming a part of that community. Actually, that's where I met uh, Kale Cleeton High Ends, uh, who's a close friend of mine. I know you had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's a good dude. And uh, that, that's where I met him and some other uh, people that ended up being really good friends. And So we, we played on there for you know, like low-stakes Stuff, whatever, and they kind of got me into Twitch because they would stream like a home game on there. And then from there, after getting introduced to Twitch, I started streaming on Twitch. And that's, I think, that was kind of the beginning of it. When I was streaming regularly, the stream ended up growing a, a decent amount. And there was a, there was and still is a kind of ceiling for US based streamers on Twitch. Like, you can only, <laughs> you know, you can only uh, do so kind of get so, so high, but. I, uh, I I did manage to get partnered on Twitch back when getting partnered was the only way to make revenue on there, and then that's really I, I think it's like when you're playing in front of a bunch of people, it's and and you you kind of suck. It's kind of embarrassing, so you almost want to you know, figure out ways to get better and everything, and and that that kind of where it I think sort of grew from there. And then I I had kind of I had kind of gotten to the point where. I was setting up my schedule to where I could just work enough. I was a self-employed attorney, so I could work enough to make enough money to cover, you know, my rent and bills and everything. Cause that was stable. And then every spend the rest of my time playing poker. Cause that was of more interest to me.
0: I know Twitch streams in and of themselves can be a grind, right? Like I think you have to want, you have to love being a streamer in order yeah. to be successful at it. Yeah. So what was it about, streaming that you loved um there was, there was a, a
1: lot of things i like the community aspect i mean poker as you know can be a, a very isolating game you know it's not a team sport uh you're you know you can find yourself not really talking to communicating with people for a while if you're on the grind for a while i mean so i like the community aspect of i'm a social person the ability to like hold each other accountable and various things like that, based on people seeing my plays, that sort of held me accountable. I can't just like fold and never tell anybody. Is the joke we <laughs> always make, uh, you know, in certain spots or whatever. And then just also talking out your thought process on things. Like you might decide to do something, but you don't really know why you did it. But if you talk out your thought process. Maybe you have a deeper understanding of why you did something or the reasonings for that. Or or maybe as you talk it out, sometimes you're like, "Uh, no, the thing that I wanted to do doesn't really actually make sense here. So I'm going to do something different now. So those are a lot of the reasons. And then it was just, for me, it was my, my stream was just fun. I wasn't playing professionally. I wasn't relying on the income from poker. So I was just always having fun. I didn't really get tilted by poker because the money the stakes i was playing for didn't matter the money didn't really matter and i was just you know i was there to have fun have a few drinks and like hang out
0: with the stream and stuff like that was kind of the initial thing that that got me into it nice um i do want to take a second to say to the listener if you hear clicking in the background i I have the video on you can't see the video but there's somebody who's grinding in uh in jared's house and it looks like they're they're like 15 tabling with headphones on. <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: uh, that, that's, uh, that's my girlfriend. She's uh, She does the sit and crush leaderboard on ACR. So she basically has to do a lot of mass tabling and stuff like that for a uh, rake race type deal. So yeah, this, this is the, uh, as I said, kind of we, I like the whole social aspect and community and everything. So I uh, did recently, uh, about two weeks, a little over two weeks ago, move into a house with a uh, With with her that that plays professionally and then uh, two other people, including uh, Brian, the golden blazer that you uh, just had
0: on, I believe. I did. Yes. So is this is the grindhouse a new thing with everybody? Yeah, this is uh, we literally moved in. We we all moved to Vegas from various places uh, just over two weeks ago. So, OK, because when I spoke to him, I guess I didn't realize I knew he was new but I didn't realize everybody was new. I thought yeah. he was moving into like an existing situation, but y'all are all coming together. Right. Um, how How did that happen? Like how, how, how did that? It's get actually also, together?
1: it's also through Twitch. Like that's kind of how we all know each other. Uh, one of the, one of the other roommates uh, is somebody that he was one of the first people that watched my Twitch stream actually. And uh, he and I became friends. He was actually on my, he was part of the tag team i i took last summer i uh, we got second in the wsop tag team uh and he was on the on the team with that and then we we met brian same thing through through his twitch channel and he actually lived about two hours north of me uh there so you know we hung out a few times we hung out once last summer in vegas when he came out there and uh then you know, he came down to my house for New Year's this past year and stuff like that so just became good friends and we all kind of we all kind of wanted to move we we're talking about places and everything and you know it's been kind of a dream for a little bit to live in Vegas I already lived here during the summer uh so figured we would get the, the plan came into motion you know a few months back and we were gonna get a place here just before summer started and obviously he'd be playing a lot of live poker this summer <laughs> and uh so here we are <laughs> yeah whoops um, we we thought about pushing the move back but actually it turned out that uh that uh his lease was up and and the management company had already had already leased it to somebody else and it was like who
0: moves during a pandemic like this so we moved during a pandemic like this <laughs> <laughs> did you get a good price on your grindhouse i i assume not a lot of people are moving in right now
1: uh, turns out, turns out a lot of people are moving right now. It's really? pretty strange. So we, we were shopping around for a while cause we wanted to find like a good situation here with, with, you know, four of us. And ultimately will be five of us living here as his girlfriend will, uh, end up, end up here as well. But we wanted to find like a good, good situation, especially if this ends up being like a longer term type thing. And, uh, we, we, found a couple of places that seemed like they'd work pretty well. And every single time uh, somebody would kind of, there'd be a pending application and somebody would get it out from under us. So we, we kept losing places and I was like, what is going on? Why well, I thought the same thing. I was like, we're, how is, how is this happening? Meanwhile, I'm thinking, I'm like going to be able to negotiate rent prices. down." <laughs> it ter- ter- turns out it's a seller's market. So that was wow. a little, a little unfortunate. Yeah. That's, it's a it's a it's a good place though at, a, at what I think's a, a really good price. We're, we're very very happy with it. The setup is really awesome. We're kind of in a little uh, temper. We've we've actually set up our desks in the in the living room right now because our couch is on back order. So we've got like a loft upstairs though that we're gonna potentially move everything up to and and kind of see how we like it and everything. But having the big living room is like a as like the the grind room, as Brian calls it, is uh, is a lot of is, is a lot of fun. Just being in here, you can, you know, if you have sweats and everything, you know, I, it, it was a lot of fun last Sunday having the having the sweat for uh, the big score and everybody. You know, it was my first Sunday. It was what was it the big score? My, I uh, I won the Sunday special for uh, uh, for forty two thousand on ACR. Oh boy! Congratulations!
0: Yeah. That's, Thank you. It's a good Sunday. Yeah, it's a very good Sunday. <laughs> um I would say going from San Diego to Vegas, real estate prices are definitely going to go down. Right. Yeah, um, I was actually San Diego back
1: to St. Louis where I'm from uh spent um, about 3 years back there and then and then moved out here, so similar similar kind of pricing on the uh, just on the Illinois side of St. Louis. So it's it, it's relatively cheap to live there and it's relatively cheap to live in vegas although vegas is getting more expensive the raiders golden knights stuff like that like kind of makes uh living
0: prices go up in general because more people want to live places where there are sports teams yeah for sure i remember back in the the housing crisis the vegas homes were like 50 percent off everywhere Mm -hmm. just tons of empty communities but i guess long enough timeline those houses start getting filled sure so when you think about joy in your career playing poker what's the first memory that comes to mind it'd be
1: uh it'd be last summer uh making david <laughs> the, the two things that come into mind were actually within about a week of each other uh be I, as i mentioned getting second in the tag team was like the the high point, the highlight, whatever. Of What was second place? Career. What was
0: the prize? How many It was. Uh, of we, you are there, on a team? It,
1: it, it was two to four. You could have, um, you know, you could choose. Uh, this year they were going to switch that and make that only two. So we were going to have like a, <laughs> we were going to have a fun little choice uh, to make because we had three of us on the team uh, last year. And, and Melissa was supposed to be on the team, but she, she, uh, she had like, we we like to joke that she was patient zero of COVID because she had a very very similar respiratory infection to like what COVID was. So she was out of commission for half the summer last last year, unfortunately. It, so is that your girlfriend, Melissa? That's my girlfriend. Yeah, the one okay. who's behind me playing uh, playing the sixteen tables. But uh, she was supposed to be on the team, but but couldn't because she was sick. So there were three of us, and see, so yeah, it was two to four person teams, and the the prize for second was a hundred and it was like 104,000 and then split three ways. So we each got about
0: 34,000. Uh, how do nice. you choose who's going to play? Like as you're getting down to like <laughs> the nitty gritty. So it, it was funny. So
1: I played, so everyone has to play an orbit. Well, no, not even an orbit. Everyone has to play a small blind and a big blind on day one. So you could literally play two hands and then somebody <laughs> else could take them. And, and there are situations like that where pros are just looking to play the whole thing. And they'll just ask somebody like, hey, I'll give you 10% of this thing, I'll pay the buy-in. I just want you to play the two hands you have to play and then leave. And then I just get to play it. Like so there's there's situations like that. Cause it's a crazy soft tournament. We we call it bring your bring your wife or girlfriend to work day. That's what <laughs> you know what a lot of it is. You know, unfortunately for them, mine is actually good at poker, but <laughs> but it uh, so but anyway, it is uh the, the way ours worked is we registered it. I played one orbit and I lost half our stack and got it back in that one orbit that I played. <laughs> and I was like, all right, guys, I'm out. I'm going to go play a different tournament. I went and played the, there was like a $1,600 Binions. I was like, if you guys make day two, I'll come back and play it. They bagged up like 88K from, I think, 20K starting. And uh, so then on day two, I was like, all right, cool. I'll come back and play this. I started off the day and just sun ran right away and they were like, you're feeling comfortable. You're the hot hand. And they just ended up having me play essentially the entire day. I mean, just, there's no breaks. So they'd hop in for bathroom breaks and stuff. So then day three kind of, they thought the same thing, you know, just ride the hot hand. So I pretty much played none of day one and all of day two and three down to the heads up. And, uh, I, you know blasted off heads up but i mean he had a pretty decent chip lead that i'd kind of clawed back and i took a zero equity triple barrel line and he had the nuts and that was all <laughs> she wrote <laughs> and uh you know it wasn't everybody always asked like "Oh, were they mad about that or whatever but it, like i said i'd played all of day two and three i i had been the one that was kind of sun running now i played well but i was for sure sun
0: running <laughs> so it was well you got second in the tournament that's right exactly <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's hard to get mad, hard to get mad at the person that played all day two and three. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then he says, but so then that was the highlight
1: of my, you know, poker career. And then, uh, oh, I guess about a week later, uh, I had made day five of the main event. It was my first main event. So I uh, made day five and, uh, it was actually probably a top five stack at a, certain point on day five but you know how poker goes that that's a that's a long long tournament i mean i was i got 158 that i was still nowhere close but still was really cool to get 158 in the main so those are those are the two that was kind of one of the best week and a half stretches of of
0: my poker life i would say it's a good week i imagine that getting down to the point to where like you could see the finish line yeah. is an exciting to where it's like in the beginning, day one, it's like a pipe dream. It's like just you don't even think about it, and then as you're playing and playing and getting closer and closer, you're like, "Holy shit!" Like yeah. I have like a percentage that's yeah. <laughs> it might be a little less than one, but like it's an right. actual, uh, tangible it, percentage that I could it's a I thing could go that deep.
1: This yeah. tournament with eight thousand runners, and at all of a sudden we're we're nearing the you know, we're nearing the finish line. Yeah. I actually, uh, similar, similar kind of theme to the start of the tag team. I actually doubled up, uh, like I doubled up the first level that I played. It was, I, I regged in level two because the lines were so long and I doubled up the first level that I played of the main event and had, had at some point dipped down to under starting stack from there and then back up. you know, so it's just, always a roller coaster and everything
0: with MTTs in particular. You sound like, so this is the most joyful week of your poker career. A lot of Mm -hmm. folks describe busting in the main as like the worst experience ever. Was there any of that when you, when you did go broke? As right when I busted, I was pretty,
1: I was in a pretty good place. Like I was, I was kind of just happy to be there. So there was a lot of that. Uh, my friends that were railing me and everything were way more upset about it than I was right right when I busted. It was my first main event I made day five. Like I'm pretty – like I, I don't ride the emotional highs and lows too terribly much. That's kind of why poker's a good thing, particularly tournament poker is a good thing for me. You know, I can get crushed and it's not really that bad. So I I took the – you know, I took the good mostly at that point. Uh, You know, we left and went and, you know, drank and gambled a little bit and stuff like that. And maybe about, maybe about 2 or 3 a.m., I would say. And I, you know, I'd been drinking a lot and just kind of, you know, decompressing, whatever. And about 2 or 3 a.m., I kind of, like, got a little emotional about it. it, Because it had, there was like a, I think there was like an adrenaline dump. I was still on the, I was still on the high from the adrenaline and I think it finally kind of dropped down a bit. And that's when I, I would say I got like a little emotional about it. I wasn't whatever. It was just, it was, what do you mean by emotional? Like, I was just really sad that I was sad that like, it's one of those things where I realized that I could play that tournament every year for the rest of my life. And I might, that, that might be my best finish ever. And it's still like a finish to be really proud of, but it was just, it was so cool to be that close, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, that might be it. Like, that might be the height of whatever. And it was just something that, I guess, it was cool to watch, you know, so my my dad's been supportive of me playing poker, but, think, but he'll openly tell me he thinks I'm, you know, kind of crazy for playing poker instead of practicing law. And so, but it was you know, he, he bought a piece of me in the main event and he was like, I was getting texts from my mom and everything. I mean, he was, he was sweating it harder than anybody. And he's telling her, you know, on day four, he's going, he's going to win it. He, yeah, yeah, I know it. He's going to win, you know, and everything like that. So it's just cool to have that. And then for that to be over was kind of, I think there's just, I was just kind of sad about it. I, sure. I think would be the best way to, and so I got like a little, kind of get that like pit of the stomach thing where I was thinking about that. And that's what I said. I was like, you know, I probably will never get this close again,
0: just statistically speaking, not like, um, you know, not going to try, but yeah. It's just the reality of it, right? Like a yeah. uh, good friend of mine, Jesse Aganuma, who's one of the first guests on chasing book Your greatness. There was like a four or five year stretch where I th- he made like day three every year of the main and never cashed yeah. like every single year he made day three and busted and never cashed. And I asked him about that. And he's like, like he laughs, you know, he's, he thinks it's funny. He's never cashed in the main in like yeah. 15 years. And this is like an elite poker player. <laughs> yeah. In like,
1: in like, in like one of the softest tournaments, like not, not the softest tournament outright. Cause obviously local, Sure, dollar whatever, but softest ten k you're going to find softest ten k, but it, it's way softer than three ks are even like just a random three k. The main is way way softer because all these you know pub games and stuff that pool all their money all year to send send their you know local hero their uh, their one guy and everything. I still I still remember the the first time uh, I ever went to uh, the WSOP it was actually so. It was just a few years back. It was when it was when Daniel Negrani staked KL in the main event. So we all just booked flights immediately to go over there. And I was in the Rio and this guy, uh, real heavyset guys on the phone and like a thick Southern accent. And he, he just goes, I just want to show these guys that I can play. <laughs> it was just, it was just like such like it, it stuck with me. It was a hilarious thing, but like it really stuck with me that there's just so much of that. There's, there's so many people with something to prove and whatever that come from all, you know, walks of life and everything like that. So
0: WSOP is a really, really cool thing because of that. Yeah. It's like a proving ground for, folks with chips on their shoulder to go out mm-hmm. and make some noise and get some yeah. coverage. It's the, you know, it's the moneymaker dream that's yep. still tangible and alive to this day. And we all thank Chris tremendously for that. <laughs> and we thank Sammy Farha
1: for full.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, I've thought about that a lot that yeah. where would we be? I, I have Chris moneymaker to thank for mm-hmm. effectively my whole life. Um, because my whole life has been centered around cards. I've been a grinder for 16 years and the poker boom is effectively based on Chris Moneymaker and, and the WPT that kind of came after that. But like Chris Moneymaker kind of set the groundwork for the the golden age of poker. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. I mean, I, uh, I've, I've met Chris
1: a few times and I, I needle him and give him shit a lot, but I, you know, I've told him that too. I, you know, I said, And he hears that a lot. He's mentioned that, that that so many
0: people, you know, thank him effectively for their career existing because of him. I've thought about, like, how much money was it worth to Farha specifically to, like, just throw the main and let Moneymaker win? Like, yeah everybody was plus ev right like this was like a rising tide lifted all the boats of all the pros when ivy takes the beat down to like nine yeah, I was players gonna say, or i was gonna
1: say if ivy doesn't uh if if chris doesn't spike that was it the ace of the queen whichever one he hit doesn't spike that against ivy it's just like you know he just wins that tournament so much of the time because he just has such a pile of chips and he's far and away the best player there so it's right. just cra- crazy to think about that kind of stuff
0: I don't know if there would have been an Ivy boom, like the moneymaker boom. It was just like nah. a perfect, in, you know, perfect. He was exciting. He was exciting for like grinders and stuff, but he
1: doesn't have the, you know, he, he was just. He's incredible. not the everyman, right? He's not like, the everyman. He's, he's a superhero. There's, there's nobody like him. Yeah, this is say he's, he's the no man. There's literally nobody like him. So I mean, still to this day, he could just randomly show up somewhere and his presence is like felt at a poker table and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I ran the, the poker goat tournament maybe a month or two ago and like have all these bracket matchups and both voting on Twitter and like Ivy just like ran away with it. Head, head and shoulders. Anybody, anybody, anybody who you put him against. It didn't matter who it was. Yeah. He's like, he just crushes everyone. Um, so tell me about meeting your girlfriend. Like I assume, did you meet through poker? Because
1: also through, also through, uh, also through- uh, poker twitch um she used to stream as well and, and then uh there was just like a big group of you know big group of friends of us that that's you know we're all part of a skype group and everything and that's part of the group that all went to uh went to vegas during the main or yeah during the main few years back when, when kl was in it and everything like that so
0: just all big group of friends through uh, twitch poker how beneficial do you think that is having a significant other that understands poker and the grind and all these things? Uh super beneficial. It's like the because the
1: thing is the the lifestyle that it takes to be a winning poker player to be a professional poker player and everything like that is just like if you don't understand it, it seems crazy. And it's, you know, if you don't have the same interests and everything like that, you know, it just can, it just can be a real, you know, grind on a relationship. So it's pretty important with that just to, you know, we we both kind of live and breathe poker and everything. And so just to to be able to pack up and move to Vegas, for instance, you know, neither one of us obviously has a, a job tying us down somewhere or anything like that. So there's just, there's, infinite benefits to that. Um, I think there's a lot of people that go the complete opposite way and would never even consider doing that and think it's crazy. And I get that side of it too. If you have like the right person, you know, it's good to have, you know, it's good to have opposites, you know, in a lot of ways as Mm -hmm. well, but Maybe depends on how opposite. Right? Exactly. Well, exactly. That's the thing is is you, it, the the personalities or the interests or whatever the understanding and all that that all has to mesh. So you can be totally opposite, but at the same time, you know, just have like an understanding and like like of course there have to be common interests and things like that because otherwise, you know, what is
0: there to whatever? Yeah. So, What's there to talk about and yeah. do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's if somebody just doesn't understand poker, gambling, just has horrible views of it, then it's going to be an uphill battle where, because effectively, if you're a professional poker player, your significant other has to believe in you and your ability to Mm -hmm. win money at this game. And so you have to convince them that, A, it's possible (laughs) that you're not going to lose everything that Mm -hmm. you have, that you know, when you go on a big downswing that eventually it will turn around. And quite frankly, when I go on a big downswing, I have enough trouble convincing myself that it's going to turn around that if I have, have a significant other who, you know, gives any pushback in any way, then it can just be devastating. It's like a snowball effect kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need somebody that's going to have confidence in you when you don't have confidence in yourself, and yeah. this happens a lot in the poker mm-hmm. world where confidence levels. You know, you, you play the main for a hundred years and you don't cash. Like this, yeah. this has an emotional effect on people, right? Yeah, and then you see like one guy
1: that just like you know, final five tables that like every year, and it's like somebody that's not really that necessarily good or whatever. <laughs> just like the sun runs in the main or whatever, just always does. And you're just like, oh wow, <laughs> that's a. There's yeah. random people. I, I always like mess around in Hendon mob. I'll just like look at old tournaments and stuff, and just see some, see some. Always see like the same name. Like I've played with th- this guy before, or whoever it is. Just be like, what? How? How in the world? <laughs> you know, it definitely variance is. Uh, uh, Ryan the had a had a really really good quote about uh, variance. He I uh, posted it on Twitter a while back. I do have it right in front of me, but he's just basically, it was the thing that makes, you know, it, it makes champions feel like they're idiots and it makes idiots feel like champions and like all, you know, all this stuff about it. And it's just like, it, it is, it can be, if you don't have the, if you don't have the both confidence
0: and understanding. And even if you do, it'll still shake you sometimes. Yeah. Emotions are powerful things and human beings are emotional creatures. We, mm-hmm. As much as when we're in the grind, we want to turn into robots who are just clicking buttons emotionle- emotionlessly, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're Phil Ivey, like I'm sure Phil Ivey has ran so bad that he has felt emotions, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. not, a ro- he's not a robot. It's yeah. just a natural part of the game. Speaking of emotions, I want to ask you the opposite question now about when you think of pain in your poker career. What's the first memory that comes to mind? Choctaw in January. <laughs> I I
1: went to play the Choctaw circuit for the first time in uh, in January. It's like just right after New Year's. It's like the first first series of the of the new year, and the play that everyone's told me always like Chakta's the best place to play or the second best place to play other than Cherokee. Like it's you know one A one B. Like, everybody's terrible. They've all got money. they you know, all this stuff. So I went and just, and everyone, and, and it was, it was as advertised. <laughs> like, it, it was, uh, a buddy of mine says, it says it really, really uh, nicely. He says, creative gameplay is what he, uh, is what he refers to it as. And I, and I just, I could not beat any of them or <laughs> any, anything at all. And I got just absolutely buried I was I was so buried I, I lost more than I thought I could lose in a circuit series period before the main started and the main's the you know 1700 buy-in so did that involve cash games or only tournaments it slightly involved cash games I'm not mostly a cash game player although there I kind of was because the cash games are just so good there's uh, hundred dollar at the two five and up game hundred dollar bills play on the table and uh that's a throwback if if you yeah and if you know you know if you if you know too much about like the reasons that they don't allow that a lot of places and various things like that you can kind of probably ascertain that the games are very good because of that money laundering yeah Yeah. exactly and
0: so tax avoidance and money laundering laundering, all of that and so because of that the games are quite incredible I will say that when cash played in Vegas, I enjoyed cash playing in Vegas, right? Uh, yep. I would stand up and somebody needs seats. Here you go. Let me just sell mm-hmm. you my chips. Give me the yep. hundreds and fuck the cage. Not going to go talk to the people yep. in the cage. Yeah, no, um, no, no, uh, no forms to fill out, no, uh, no ID. No forms, no, no ID. ID. Yeah. Uh, just take so, my money and go back so to
1: so I just got absolutely buried before the main, and then played the main, and ended up uh, ended up running fairly deep in the main, and uh, was final thirty or so, and just got, uh, and then as so I, th- I thought I was going to save the whole trip and all of that, and uh, ended up flopping top set on eight four deuce rainbow, and uh, and lost, <laughs> and it was it was just like, it was really funny because it was just like, by the end, like after that hand happened, I was just like that, that Choctaw is just not going to let me win. There, there's just no, uh, you know, I, I remember I, I was, I was pretty, uh, I was posting my results and everything online because I just think it's when you come up from being a micro grinder and everything like that, I think it's really cool to be able to watch the journey for people. A lot of people really enjoy sweating it. I don't, I'm pretty public about my wins and losses and stuff like that. So I don't really mind all that. And so I, I just, I just posted for my results for that. I just posted a, a GIF of a dumpster fire. <laughs> like That was literally just my uh, chocolate results post. <laughs> but yeah, it was that, that was probably the most painful uh, poker
0: experience for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, sometimes you just can't win. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you just, it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You just can't put it together and win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will say though, I, so I went to Cherokee. I haven't been to Choctaw. I've been to the other one that's close. Windstar. Uh, uh, Windstar, WinStar, yeah. Yeah, I went to the Windstar. Cherokee, I don't play tournaments, like I, like I said. And I played the main in Cherokee, the 1500 main. And coming from like playing ten twenty no limit, to the Cherokee Maine I was (laughs) shocked is like not the right word it was just like what in the fuck is going on like we are we it's like 11 p.m and five people are still limping like every pot like how is and and and
1: two of of them have a just pile of chips and you can't really explain why so many chips and I
0: I don't know how they still have them
1: and you probably like like as somebody who plays you know probably closer to more optimally or studies a lot of that and everything like that you probably you know trying to play against tr- trying to figure out how to exploit people like that when you don't play against them all the time is probably just a really really difficult thing to do
0: uh, i i think i figured out
1: <laughs> how to yeah, you know,
0: exploit them fairly quickly yeah. It's was like i got the old man on my left that's like uh oh yeah, I got. I always have to inform us somebody's at the door. The old man on my left that's talking about how he's never won with Ace King in the last Mm -hmm. five years. (laughs) This guy gets the raise in the dark every time I'm in the cutoff for the button, and then another guy that like he's like sweating his cards, like holding them up to his face and like shaking (laughs) his head every hand, like "Mm." not this one, (laughs) like yeah, not this one. I'm like, okay, these guys get raised in the dark, like every single pot. Um, Ironically they three bet me three times <laughs> of course. <laughs> like the three times that nobody had opened limp and I got to raise in the dark. Uh, the old man had Kings and then the other guy had nines and just ripped it on like the second to last hand of the night. <laughs> i I'm like, okay, whatever. But yeah, it was like, basically, I mean, it just becomes make a good hand. Yeah. Like, make no, a good I, hand and hold up. That's the, that's the strategy. Yeah, it, There's just, there's just weird.
1: There's just weird things. So I know a lot of people that, Are very very good at poker and study a ton and know more theory than I do and can beat other people that are very good at poker. But then them trying to exploit just absolute, you know the the local the local middle aged white guy at uh you know at your poker room they they just cannot they can't figure out exactly how to adjust to exploit you know they can't not triple barrel you know they can't they can't turn it off. You know, and so there's a lot of that, that I think, you know, you can, you can not be very good at poker, but just be able to be absolute wrecks and uh, you'll do a lot better.
0: You know, you'll make a lot more money than trying to battle with the battle with the regs. Yeah, I've had a lot of experience playing in home games near the Cherokee area, like a few hours away that I'm pretty good at thinking like a fish, <laughs> this is one of my one of my strengths in poker. Is that I can enter the brain of the fish, think like them, and then make very exploitative plays. That uh, you know, because like if you're the the typical trap is like I need to have some bluffs here. This combination is the best combination to bluff with, so I'm going to do it. And when you're playing against that type of player, you don't there are need to bi- have any bluffs. <laughs> there are binary spots where yeah. if I put a chip in this dude is calling. If I put all my chips in, this dude is calling. So I'm just not going to bluff ever. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just how it has to be. Like right. it's a uh, part of being successful at those wreck filled tournaments. Yeah. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots. That merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance end quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the poker detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, You'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. What would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? I mean, I think just
1: the fact that the fact that I'm playing for a living and. and you know, making money at it is probably the most unexpected thing because it didn't start as that. It started as a hobby that maybe I could, you know, maybe I could make a little extra spending money uh, with, but even if I broke even, you know, it was, it was definitely a fun thing that I got to do. So I think just the fact that I'm here in Vegas, the fact that I'm kind of living out the quote unquote poker dream, you know, even if it, you know, even if it didn't last, even if it only ends up being a couple of years or something like that, you know, if that's that's to me the I'd say the most unexpected
0: thing because I never really planned on this being the case. For somebody, a listener that is considering investing more time and energy playing this game, you know, you're a relatively late entrant into the the poker world and your proof that the dream is alive and it is possible. What would you suggest they do as far as uh, first, second, third steps? Um, I mean, the first thing I would ever
1: suggest to anybody who says, like, oh, I want to become a professional poker player. Like, if that's the specific thing, I would just say don't do it. Like, if you if you have a job and you enjoy poker, my suggestion to those people would always be, you know, keep your job, play poker recreationally. You can study and get better and do all these things. It's, why? It, why? Why so is if, that? Because if you are actually going to succeed, if you're actually going to succeed at it, then my advice for you to not do it isn't going to deter you. So, it, you know, if somebody had told me, hey, don't, and some people did, don't stop practicing law, just practice law and play poker recreationally. You know, that that didn't matter that people told me that, that that's the same thing or whatever. So, if you want my advice and that is my actual advice is not to do it. Keep your job and you know enjoy the game for what it is. It's a game, it's fun. You know, do that. If they're not going to listen to that, then they have probably the first step to, you know, kind of the tenacity or the don't, you know, don't really care about what what's sane and rational that you kind of need to do this. Um, you know, and if you go beyond that, I would just say to Find, find a either, co- either like coach training site, whatever methodology of studying, whatever that is, find one or one or two and that, that, that mesh well for you and stick to those. Uh, we have a lot of friends that struggle in poker right now and they're just, they try to, they try to do every single thing training site they're doing learn pro poker they're doing you know raise your edge they're doing you know they're just doing every single different one and you know there's different philosophies and stuff to those you know obviously you know that that, that different coaches have different philosophies and they're all profitable you know or a lot of them are not all of them but a lot of them are profitable if you correctly apply them but just trying to like jump around and do whatever you kind of get into some weird limbo thing where nothing you're really doing makes sense.
0: So yeah, it's like, it's just like jumping from lily pad to lily pad without Mm -hmm. having, you you don't have security. You're not on secure ground in the first place. So Mm -hmm. you'll like apply a strategy. It doesn't work out. And then you're like, Oh, I don't like that. So you jump to another one. You, try to do that. And you're like, Oh, I don't like that. And then like, you're basically, you're never solidifying any of the you know technical fundamental aspects of being a mm-hmm. poker player that are just necessary for a lot of, you know, a lot of the more advanced strategies and plays that people see and try to do like the monkey see monkey do approach. They're just not technically proficient enough to be able to pull it off at right. the right moment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of poker is just figuring out that yeah, like sometimes you do the right thing and you get your face smashed in, and sometimes mm-hmm. you do the right thing a hundred times and you get your face smashed in a hundred times, and like right. that's just what it is, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like like the over either either over applying or under applying concepts, like that's another common thing that I see with people that you know, with people that do study a lot and have a general understanding, they, they'll get a new principle and they'll just try to apply it to every single you know, every single situation, try to just warn it in there where it's like, okay, you know, that's maybe a thing to
0: do every once in a while in this certain spot. I just don't understand the why. And that's right. Let's randomize. Let's randomize yeah. our decisions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you there's zero times that I shouldn't felt fold like- aces. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um it's tough, you know, because yeah. you get a lot of bad feedback in poker as far yeah. as whether or not you're doing the right thing on a regular basis. And that's a tough Definitely. thing for people to reconcile. But you're absolutely right, going back to what you said. you know, In 2004, when I was telling people that I was going to play poker professionally, like everybody basically looked at me like a space alien, because mm-hmm. nobody even knew that in that was a Chattanooga, Tennessee, that that was a thing. I mean, the number one question people ask me, even now when I say I'm a professional poker player is, You can make money doing that. Like that's the first thing, and then, you know, they ask if I've been on TV. And do you do you count cards? (laughs) Do I count cards? Yeah. Do you count cards? Like yeah, fifty two. There's fifty two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time, there's fifty two. Well, have Um, you been on TV? No, I don't think so.
1: The 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 back inside of my head were on. I was on the secondary feature on on
0: day four. How did it feel? How how did the back Uh, of your head feel being on TV?
1: It was great. It was really exciting. Uh, <laughs> I, it, uh, wait, so they they I, I drew the feature table card. And I was like, oh god, and it was it was like a ridiculously tough table, as you can imagine. It was just like just a lot of good players, and I was card dead at it too. So that was really unfortunate. But they didn't have the they didn't have like the whole cards or anything on for us. So they would just come over there and show the table whenever there was like an all-in or a the call. They're just you know, card cards on their backs they would, uh, they would do that. So yeah, it's kind of like panned across me on ESPN or something like that, but not really
0: any, not really anything other than that. So what's a common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? That's a good question.
1: Um, I mean, you know, it, it's like, I guess the question is if you're talking about like, is it common, common advice from like good people or just like, Added, you know, obviously, there's the old like ace king is just a drawing hand type situations, and you really shouldn't, you know. Yeah,
0: it's Anna Kournikova. It looks yeah, good, but should, it never should, wins.
1: shouldn't Shouldn't go broke with just one pair, and like all, you know, there's just stuff stuff like that. Um, but I don't, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think if there's if there's anything. Um, I think that I think that in general, people even very good players, good coaches and stuff like that probably tend to overapply ICM in a lot of situations, or even if things are maybe technically an ICM fold or whatever, I think that there's especially early and final tables in particular, I think that there's so much like future good that can come from ascertaining a large stack of chips that you can't exactly calculate how much more money you're going to make. You, you can calculate directly what what the ICM value of a certain play is, but that's isolated to that specific situation. It's not calculating how much more often you're going to ladder and stuff like that when you can just be getting away with murder because everyone else is afraid to put chips in the pot and you've got a bunch of chips and you don't. But I think that that's probably the most common thing that I see, even from like good players, good coaches and stuff like that, that are just like over applying ICM to situations. It's a good answer.
0: I, um, oh, by the way, I realized my train of thought earlier was when you use reverse blockers, this is something that like, like the terms that people use. That Wait, I'm uh, like you, uh, you unblock something, like you unblock a certain hand.
1: Yeah, I'm like mean?
0: yeah, they're like unblock. Like I I I don't have the reverse blockers. Like the first time somebody said that to me, I was like, "What on God's earth are you talking about?" Like, yeah. so you you don't have blockers. <laughs> is that <laughs> is that what you're saying? Like um and it is from like folks who are very very new to poker, right? So like mm-hmm. they're using terms and I'm like, "Where did this come from?" It's yeah. like the least relevant thing like in the beginning of your poker career it was uh i think folks try to get way too advanced way too quick and kind of ignore Mm -hmm. the fundamentals uh, at the very there's definitely a lot of that where it's like because i i've I've thought about this a lot um
1: how would i teach somebody how to play poker like from scratch like i've really considered that a lot because i I joked around with the you know, my my mom has joked around that she wants to learn how to play poker. She thinks it'd be like good for her mind to learn how to play and whatever. And, you know, when I explained to her that you can play like one cent, two cent and not really ever lose any money, she liked the idea of that. But it's like, I was thinking about it. I was like, how do you even, like once you get past what the hand rankings are and how like betting and game flow goes, where do you start with like, you know, you start with like what hands to open, but then you're talking about like raising, re-raising. It's just stuff like that. It's like, I don't know. How you would teach somebody how to play poker from scratch
0: yeah, it's really tough you you have to break everything down into its own little component and then weigh mm. all the different components against each other like if it, if you're going about it like a systematic way, but there's just so many variables there's no there's no,
1: there's no checklist you can go down because it's like the, the things all the things all connect together right, and you know we have that knowledge of how they connect together because we've played for however long and we've we've studied it and understand that but like just when you go from you know it's such a there's there's very few games that you know beyond the basic rules have so so much complexity and everything you know obviously chess does for sure but there's just so few games that have just that that many layers of like complexity to them which is part of why i'm like interested in it
0: yeah, I've had students sweat me sometimes and like I'm playing and they're sweating and they're like, oh, you do this with pocket Aids. i I'm going to write this. Down. I'm like, no, don't write that down. <laughs> right, you don't know why I did that or what's <laughs> yeah. the situation about this. There, <laughs> there are very I'm specific like reasons why I'm yeah. doing what I'm doing. And it's not just like uh, apply this and it works across the board type of situation.
1: Brian and I actually talked about that the other day when uh, when he was watching the um, Heads Up of the Sunday special uh it said that he he said he he explained this to his stream the other night he said you know like as a way to learn I was he said he doesn't consider himself to be very good at heads up so he's like as a way to learn watch the things that I do and and he would think first he would think what would I do in this situation and then if I did the same thing you know that was kind of a confirmation but if I did something different he would try to think about like why I did that or whatever. Like he wasn't obviously, I'm, I was playing heads up for like 20 K. So he wasn't like asking me, right? I think it was 12 K difference, or whatever it was, but he wasn't like asking me at the time, Hey, why did you do that or anything? But you know, that's a, that's a good thing as well, where you start to think, not just, I'm going to do this thing different. It's, it's, why did they do that? Can I, can I come up with some reasons? And then, you know, of course, you can ask, Hey, why did you do that? That's a different thing. Like he did after it was over. He asked me a couple of things. And I was like, ah, it could explain the, the reasons for,
0: you know, for those specific plays. And what goes unnoticed is that sometimes the answer is I fucked up. Like yeah. that's just, you know, you see a good poker player on TV and they do something and everybody's like, why do they do this? Let's figure out the reasons. And the reality is they just fucked up. They made a mistake. They're human yeah. beings, right? Yeah. The, the actual action is nowhere near as important as like the why. What are the variables that were considered when this decision was made. Mm -hmm. Um, and then how can I look for those variables in the future and apply that? I, I, I will say something though. And I have a student of mine who's a recreational player. He has a career, awesome guy who loves poker and he's been getting coaching from me for like the last four or five months. And in the beginning, there were some questionable, questionable things. Like I would see a video and it's like, Oh, he's like calling a raise with, do suited on the button versus under the gun. He's limping like Deuce tray suited, doing some things that were like actively just really not good. And I did have some like anxiety that if this dude is going to invest like a few thousand dollars into me, am I, am I going to be able to pull him through? Yeah. And I make recordings for all of our sessions. And I think the type of person that you're teaching is so pivotal into whether or not they, they succeed at the end of the day, because like he watches these videos over and over and over again, before each session, he makes notes, he applies them. And yeah. like, you know, five months into our coaching, we just did a, a session like a week ago and there were only two atrocious mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we made it through a 45 minute video before we'd stop at like minute 10. And then I would, we would have an hour long discussion at minute right. 10 and like, it was just amazing to me seeing that like, yeah, there's progress being made here. This is, this is awesome.
1: Yeah. So it's one of those things where like, I, I, I never, I, I never, of course, you know, say anything about what somebody does at the table or anything like that. There's that ego thing that a lot of uh, professional players or good even just not professional whatever people that even are good but just it's like some ego thing that somebody did something wrong so they want to tell them that it was wrong or all whatever uh but i i like the one time that it like slips ever is in satellites because the decisions that they make like so tremendously effect, you know so tremendously negatively affect you and everything like that so i i said something and and uh nick Papello is actually on my left in the satellite and he's like you like on break he walks over he's like don't don't say that don't tell them that he's, he's like "He was right but i but i said my response is just like dude i could show these guys exactly how to play tell them every single correct thing like perfectly if i knew all of the exact perfect things and could prove that they were perfect and exactly right and they wouldn't do any of them like it does it just doesn't matter so exactly you know, it's not, it's not an excuse to do that or anything. He, he, he like, agreed. We, we laughed about it, but it was just a really funny... He's just like, don't, don't do that. Like, you're right. But <laughs> the thing yeah. is, and there's some people like that, and there's other people that are just informational sponges where they want to learn, they want to get better, and they're going to take everything you say. They, they, might, like, they might go back to that fallacy we talked about before. They might over-apply things. But that's better than just ignoring them or not being
0: able to apply them at all. Right. I mean, just look at at pre-flop play. This is like step one in the decision-making process and Mm -hmm. playing 1500s in Cherokee and 1500s in Choctaw and like five people are limping. This is information that's easy, easy to find for very, Mm -hmm. for free online and nobody does it right. Like -hmm. like these guys just don't do it because that's not their version of fun or the egos involved. Then they think, you know, just what, whatever it is, they don't want to invest the time. They they're just recreational players, right? And that's yeah. cool, and that's okay. Yeah. And like that's the reason we can make money is because of them. Exactly, and yeah, you can say whatever you want in a satellite, and like whatever. Yeah, nobody's exactly
1: gonna, nobody's going like, to listen.
0: I've I've almost like I, I I want them to understand. I, I want them to
1: understand that that uh, you know. They shouldn't be just playing any two cards. They should be folding. Out. I actually want this guy to understand he should be folding anything because it's <laughs> going to screw me over if he if he just like calls by uh, if he calls my show way too late. Right. Like, You're like, wait, why? No. Like you you should go to dinner. <laughs> you should just leave. <laughs> you have a seat. You win. There's no extra prize for first place. Although I I have I have thought of and I and I like the concept of a survivor-type tournament or, or like, you know, whatever, satellite survivor works a little bit better because you pay out in cash, whatever. If you just take one spot off the bottom and then you just add it to the chip leader when the bubble bursts, it would just incentivize, like, aggressive play on the bubble and everything like that. I think that that would be, like, a really cool concept for a tournament where everybody gets $1,000,
0: but first place gets $2,000 at the end of it. That would be interesting, uh, an interesting way to incentivize action on, on the bubble. I don't know if it would
1: work cause if it was only one person or something like that. Like it would create enough action,
0: but I, I have lots of ideas about tournaments. Uh, there, there are very real reasons why I don't love tournaments. I, I experienced that in Cherokee going down to the money bubble with all the stalling. I hate <laughs> the stalling. Yeah. I like, I'm a cast. They do team, uh, they do round and round in, uh, they do
1: like I think it's like two off the money they started or whatever in Choctaw, They do you play a whole round, you play a whole orbit, and then they just like split the cash or whatever. That that helps the stalling. I'll tell you that much. Like, but
0: how, how does it work? It, or, tell me
1: how it works. It, I guess I guess it doesn't really help the. I'm sorry. I guess it doesn't really help the stalling on because it's only on the direct bubble. But it's uh, instead of hand for hand, they play round for round. So as soon as the as soon as you're whatever it is one off the money or two off the money, whatever they go hand for hand ordinarily. What ordinarily would be one off them let's say it's two off or something here you play a whole or every table plays a full orbit and then stops and if multiple people bust during that they'd like they split them in cash or or whatever so a lot of times like three people bust during that during that orbit they just all split them in cash or something like that so it's kind of
0: a cool different way to do it yeah i, I think there there does need to be innovation we do need yeah. to try to improve this aspect of poker. I can't be the only one that hates the stalling nearing the end of tournaments, especially people are trying to ladder up uh, my own My own ideas that I've come up with were effectively a whole tournament that's round for round um, mm-hmm. where you keep track of it and basically the hand that you bust on determines your place and the number amount of chips you had when you bust yeah. determine your place some sort of incentive for like it's, it's tricky though. The first so seven rounds, so it's, much it's, logistic. There's so, so much
1: logistics involved, and
0: yeah, already kind of online. There is room for innovation sure, if you can for a- sure. automate it, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you can automate all these processes, there is room for innovation. And at some points in tournaments, I mean, people stall because they're incentivized to stall. Like mm-hmm. that's that's why they stall. So yeah, I, I've to, done it. I I have
1: done it before. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't make a habit of it, particularly because I feel like my edge in getting more hands is a lot higher than, you know, the potential for min caching or something like that. But I've certainly, you know, I've certainly lost a massive flip and had two big blinds on the on the bubble of things. But I try to be cool about it. I try to like, you know, never take too long on any one decision, never let it get to where they have to call the clock on me or anything like that. So, you know, I just try to try to be nice about you know, do a few things, you know count some chips out. Hey, can I see your stack over there? Just, just like, just so they, they, they think I, like, they know what I'm doing. Obviously they're not dumb, but just, you know, just don't insult their intelligence or whatever, but <laughs> just kind of just kind of make it look like you're busy. <laughs> That's exactly. Sort
0: of yeah. Uh, let's, uh, smooth the lightning round, sir. Okay. Out of this stalling talk, it tilts me just thinking about it uh-huh. and I'm very relaxed. Um, <laughs> If, if you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? I would say um,
1: I, I really like uh, Brokus's book, uh, Play Poker Optimally, uh, because I think it's, it's, it's a concept that I struggle with, e- even like as a professional poker player with somewhat of an understanding of, of game theory optimal. Like the idea behind it and everything conceptually, my brain just does not quite. Like, why do I need to know that if I'm going to play exploitatively and things like that? So, I think that that gives a much better uh, kind of understanding of like the reason for that. What is the reason? Let's spoil Bruckus's book. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the, the reason that it is if you if you can't understand if you can't understand what the optimal strategy would be if you can't understand what to do at equilibrium, you're not going to be able to figure out how to deviate from that to make the most amount of money. So you, you're not going to be able to determine should, you know, if this person's not calling at equilibrium, should I bluff way more,
0: should I bluff way less, that kind of thing. Right. If this player is calling with second pair, given this line, given this situation... Is he overcalling on the river? And if they tend to be overcalling on the river, how do I exploit that? Mm-hmm. Um, or how do I make the most money against that? Exactly. Or if they show a big fold or make a big laydown, how do I exploit that? Like it's basically mm-hmm. you need to know a baseline so that you can figure out how they're messing up, so that you can take advantage of it, right? Mm-hmm. If you could erect a billboard that every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does it say? Fold pre. why? Uh, that's that's the, that's the classic,
1: uh, it's the classic forum meme and everything, but it's, it's so true in so many of the situations. Like, yeah, you know, you see us, you're like, here we are on the turn and I want to know what I should do on this
0: turn. And it's like, we shouldn't even be having this discussion because if you just had folded pre, you would not be in this situation. Right. Like the classic hand history analysis where it's like, what do I do here on the river? And I'm like, every decision that you've made to get to the river, I would have done something differently.
1: <laughs> so yeah. me-
0: as, as, as played is the biggest fu, like yeah. as the biggest UF, I, I think, I think it was, I
1: can't remember who tweeted it. But it was like, uh, it might've been Jamie Kersetter tweeted like, as played is the biggest, uh, you, you fucked this hand up. <laughs> like let it's kind of the bless your, bless his heart of, uh, of whatever. But uh, just a just as a, as a secondary answer to that question, shout out to Melissa Burr. I would say uh, n- no, nobody cares what you folded would also be a solid one. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah, that'd,
0: that'd be a good, that'd be a good billboard as well. <laughs> I think it's a better one. It's more engaging, right? It's, it's definitely very engaging and it's definitely a bigger problem that people have. That's people though. That's just a part of poker that you learn to live with. Uh, yep. Um, What's your current big goal as related to playing poker? A uh, current big goal is to,
1: I would say uh, feel as if I'm profitable in two 15s and up, which is funny to say, as I just wanted two 15 for uh $42,000, but like it's I a still, tournament. I still don't necessarily, yeah, I still don't necessarily feel that like on a daily basis. See, that was a Sunday tournament, of course I'm always going to play those. And I definitely feel unprofitable in those on Sundays, but I would say just be profitable in like ACR 215s and up nice. where I feel like those are kind of some of the tougher tournaments online as a U.S. facing player. Since you're in Nevada are you playing on WSOP? I am and also similar to Choctaw there's a lot of creative gameplay <laughs> on that site so uh, I've been playing this I've been playing the circuit there's actually FT bubbled uh, one of the first ones uh, of the of the online circuit and I am going to put together a a package and sell some for the, uh, for the bracelet events in July.
0: Yeah. The thing that's stopping the poker boom is just recreational players ability to put money online with a credit card. Right. Like that's, nobody's going to learn Bitcoin. Like just get over it. They're not going to learn Bitcoin. Uh, They're not going to go through the friction of figuring out how Bitcoin works to get money on a site. So like until they can just, whip out your credit card, see an ad, whip out your credit card, sign up, deposit, you know, poker will boom. If that ever happens, I don't know if it ever will, but if it does, then poker will come back in some capacity. WSOP having PayPal
1: as an option is really, really awesome. And then obviously you can, uh, especially now
0: with the uh, the casinos are back open again, have been for about a week or so. Isn't that Um, funny to to think about? So crazy. The fact that WSOP has PayPal is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no it's yeah, and legitimate it, it,
1: no for sure and it's like yeah and, and then now that the casinos are open again you can uh you can actually go to the cage to, the the withdrawals are still terrible on wsop from really my understanding it, it's just taking that that may have gotten cleared up some now but particularly you know when when everything was closed down due to COVID, they're, they're probably having to process so many of them and everything, but multiple people, multiple pros have tweeted, like they're waiting over a week for a PayPal withdrawal and stuff like that. And they could—they didn't have the option to go to the cage and cash out, but you can do that. You, you can do that for WSOP as well. You can go put money on or take, I mean, that's, I'm sure, I, I don't want to do like massive PayPal transactions for the summer stuff because I'm probably going to play like, Whatever twenty five thousand dollars worth of uh, worth of binds for for the WSOP bracelet thing, so I'll probably just go take a brick of cash to the uh, cashier or something and just tell them to put it on the account. So that's at
0: least a nice option, for sure. And on my wish list for regulated and legalized poker is also competition. Let's yeah. let's have an easier barrier to entry so that we can have some real competition so that when a site starts fucking people over by not paying them, yeah. you have an option to play somewhere tra- else. Or
1: just has trash software, trash. Yeah. Show. I mean like the, the structures, the structures are super, like they're very much a crap shoot late on WSOP. They're like super deep early and super shallow late where you're playing for like a lot of money and stuff like that. And it's, it, it's good for me as a, as a pro, but the, they're, payouts are so top heavy i mean they're just ridiculously top like a lot of tournaments are paying like 30 percent for first and like big field tournaments and stuff like that so it's just it's kind of crazy you know it's kind of crazy that that's the case and everything i get it's good for me but is it good for you know the recreationals need to be able to make some money or feel like they made some money when they ft a tournament gets six you know getting screwing them over is not necessarily the the best idea possible so I, I like i like pay fewer people but have kind of flat payout structures
0: that you know yeah that seems hey, best for me it should just be incentive for the operator to make it better for their whole player base yeah. right like if there's competition then there is incentive because you're trying to get customers
1: do you know uh, i don't know how much you follow the regulation stuff do you know anything about Party Poker got their licensing a while back to to open in Nevada. Is what I had heard, and and I thought I thought it was supposed to be coming sometime early this year. I don't know if that got like pushed back with anything, but uh, I have no idea. I should probably look into it some more. But I I, yeah, I'm excited about that because I think Party Poker has in general very good software now. It used to be really bad, but they've got some of the better software now that they've made a lot of improvements. And I just like overall the way that that company does business just just generally speaking you know they're kind of they're kind of the stars of old where they're really really focusing on what's best for the game not just
0: how can i how can i fleece these people for the maximum amount of money that's possible yeah and that's it's really a shame that stars went that way um but I guess when you sell to a giant corporation yeah. and it becomes just a profit money-making machine, it just mm-hmm. becomes, how do I make more money from the average person? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. They're not, they, they don't care about
1: poker. They just see it as, as what it is. They see it as, you know, if Amaya's not going to, you know, they're not going to see it as anything other than an extension of their casino and everything, or like a way that they can get people into the casino and, and they're just going to treat it the same way. How can we, how can we uh, maximize our
0: revenues across the board? Right. But it's short-sighted, obviously. We know yeah. that. But but it's hard to stop the the cogs in that machine once definitely. they start rolling. Yeah, because if you're going to go take to the shareholders,
1: like, well, we've been increasing revenue, increasing revenue. Now, now we're going to intentionally
0: decrease revenue, but to have sustainability, they're not going to understand that. So It's all about short-term right there's no yep. long term long term outlook i do hope that yeah we just if there's competition this stuff changes and yep. companies have the incentive to take care of the players this is yep. why i i hate all the platforms that are us facing that are unregulated like i can't get behind acr i can't get behind ignition it's just it is what it is it's unfortunate you have to deal with it because we don't have options however Mm -hmm. maybe one day we'll have options yep um they they all have their they
1: all have their like you know i've always been pretty open about like i will shit on these sites when they do things that are screwed up and like especially things that they can fix i will also praise them when they do things that are good you know i think that i have a relatively you know unbiased voice in that because i'm i'm definitely willing to both praise and criticize the sites for whatever in the same site, you know, I'll, I'll within one week, you know, if I say something, but then there's a different thing that's good that I like, I'll say that too. And so I think there's a lot of people that just really, really like to shit on one particular site or anything like that. And there was, I I got a bit of a name uh, just because there were so many things that were being screwed up at a certain point. I got a kind of name as somebody that was like an ACR hater. And I was like, I put, 80% 80% of my volume in on ACR. Like, how could I, <laughs> it's, it's, the reason I'm saying these things is because I'm constantly playing there and these things are screwed up. Other right. sites screw things up too. Like they all do. And like you said, they need, they need competition and they're not really going to get it as long as we're in this unregulated situation because it's so much risk and it's really, really hard for a, like how could a new unregulated poker site kind of pop up and get the traction it needs nobody's going to trust that they'll pay out you know all this stuff so yeah they've got a they've got a monopoly
0: on the unregulated market too too much too
1: too many barriers to entry
0: for that for sure yeah i'm i'm biased and just not liking them in general i don't yeah. I, I don't know that i shit on them all the time publicly mm-hmm. I, I do on this show but yeah. to me it's like if you have to tweet at an operator to Mm -hmm. get shit fixed. Yeah. That's a bad situation just in general, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. why why are your customers giving you feedback on what to fix? And the only reason you fix it is because your customers are tweeting at you. Like it should be priority to just fix it in the first place. Right. Right. Like how do we create a good experience for our players? Um, But everything's so opaque. There's no transparency. And you know, like, like the bet online, the, the bad beat jackpot that happened oh, yeah. like a, a week or two ago that I've <laughs> mentioned, I mentioned a number of times on this show already as well. It's like, yeah, we're happy that they paid out the bad beat jackpot, but like, that's what they're supposed to do. This is not why, a victory. Why, why did this thing happen
1: in the first place? Like what, do they have some, do they have some like intentional way of uh, negating the bad beat
0: jackpot? You the know, they place? do, you yeah. know, they do. And yeah. And, and like, it's a free roll for them, right? Like if they don't complain publicly and they don't get pressure, then they just don't pay it out. Like if it happens to somebody and they're like, oh, well, I got screwed. I'm, I'm weirded out by that thing
1: though, because there's, my initial thought was that it's actually better for them to pay out the bad beat jackpot. Cause you know, they rake it like when it gets paid out. No, I didn't know that. They rake it like it used to be, I think it used to be higher than it is, but it's either five or 10% goes to administrative fees. It's just straight, it's just, they break it on the front end and they rake it on the back end too. So every single time I get, you know, it's like 20, 20 or 25% goes to seeding the next one. So they're just double and triple dipping on that thing. Uh, Cause I, I had mentioned that to, to Joey uh, Ingram a while back whenever uh, this was maybe two years ago or something. I don't know if you remember or know about this, but the same guy won the bad beat jackpot like a month apart from each other. It's the same player. It's like, it doesn't get hit all that often period for the same guy to win it two different times. It's just like, that. now, if you're cheating, if they are cheating and whatever, it's, just use a different username. So that's actually probably nothing. It's just like a funny coincidence, most yeah, likely. Yeah, it's like variants, like those, those yeah. not not super great players
0: that run deep in the they're main. They run deep
1: in man all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's for sure possible, and it's a thing. Like, and it's even likely that. But it was just something that's like, oh, let's keep an eye on this. And when I was looking into it, I realized that they uh, that they rake the bad beat jackpot. Uh, I, I want to say like it was like ten percent at the time, and maybe it's like five percent now. I'd have to look at it, but yeah, that's so. It's like it's actually more incentive for them to want to pay it out unless they have some, like unless they have some like house bot or something like that. Yeah, that's unless they're paying it like, out to themselves and, and nobody really wins it and bet online feels like particularly shady right now, just because like most of their revenue comes from sports betting and there's really no sports betting right now. So it just already, it, there's just, there's some weird things been going on. I've, I've made a lot of money on that site, like relative to what I've played, I've got a pretty high ROI and I just, there's something, I just get like a bad feeling when I'm playing on that site now. Whereas I, I originally, it was one of my favorite. I, I think they have, the best software of U S facing sites. And I don't think it's even close. So I like that, but it's just, it's just weird when you get just like, I can't put my finger on what it is, but I
0: get a bad feeling about that site. Also never underestimate how incompetent these businesses can be Mm -hmm. where the dude won the bad beat jackpot and then they just mess up and the same person wins it a week later. Right. Like it could just be a complete screw up. I mean, yeah, when I think about UB and superusing, this was the thought that I had for many, many years was, okay, they were idiots. Like the, they only got caught because of the poker community, number one. Number two, they were horrible at superusing, like horrible. <laughs> yeah, they the were car- so obvious. Just, <laughs> <for them. laughs> just, just, call, just call them
1: like nine-eye and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it, just so fucking dumb. And I thought for years, like, I hope that an intelligent person doesn't have access to a superuser account because they will never get caught. Mm-hmm. and then there will be there's we'll just never know they just have an exceptionally high win rate they lose in spots where they're supposed to lose but like you would just never know if somebody was yeah, smart just just, and- just pay just pay the guy just just pay the guy off with, with the second vote
1: <laughs> right <laughs> you know just it's just
0: come on <laughs> like make it look good right and yeah. that's that's the fear is like if they if sites were intelligent about this the cheaters were intelligent then we'd all be screwed and we'd never know but anyway do you have any projects you're working on that are near and dear to your heart um
1: i'm not particularly working on anything right now um i've i've kind of i've mostly just lately mostly focused on just kind of grinding and whatever i i definitely have thought of some things and maybe want to put some more time into some stuff and everything like that. But I'm not, I'm like, if I start a project, I'm the type of person that it will consume me. (laughs) And so I'm almost, and and a lot of times it'll consume me and I won't have necessarily the best thought process or way, way to get it done. Actually. Like I have the idea, but I can't maybe implement it as well. So I kind of try to avoid doing too much stuff like that, but, uh, so nothing in particular right now. Um, obviously I know that, uh, I, you know, I saw on your website, you guys, uh, support, uh, learn pro poker and, uh, and, uh, range trainer pro, you know, Kale's a good friend of mine. He, he actually told me about the idea for range trainer pro maybe two or three years ago. And I didn't necessarily think that there was much of a market for it as described then but then when it when it got uh combined with like learn pro poker like that it was just the perfect fit as soon as that happened it was just like the perfect fit so um you know that's that's the thing that i would like promote obviously because he's a good friend and you know I, i'm you know, pretty
0: supportive of them and stuff but it's a good way to learn ranges um yeah. with in a low risk environment where yeah. you get a you get scored you get in immediate feedback on how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I see, I, I, so when I heard about it, it was the same. And then Mm -hmm. when I saw it in practice, I was like, okay, like I can see how this is good for people for sure um, as a warm up and also a good teaching tool. Yeah. It's not necessarily something that I really use or, or is is good for me. I kind of mostly know those
1: things, but that, that idea as a teaching method is, is really, really good. So I think it has a a great kind of, you know it has a great place in in poker particularly in the learning environment uh, specific to the kind of uh, target market and everything for for learn pro poker so it's pretty pretty cool uh, pretty cool thing and I, and I would I would guess that the two of that the combination of of Ryan and KL will come up with some more really cool innovative stuff over the next couple of years I would I would not be surprised if they
0: continue to come up with some more things like that so yeah, me neither. And always support KL because he's yeah, just for sure. he's just a really good dude. Um, he is. So, final final question: <laughs> Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the worldwide webs? Uh,
1: mostly on Twitter,
0: it's just Chase eighty four poker. That's uh,
1: that's my main platform. You can, What's the eighty four? Because you're thirty. Yeah, uh, it was <laughs> well, funny enough. Like, yeah, I get that a lot because everybody thinks I'm older than I am. It's <laughs> actually <laughs> I went to a. It was when I went to college, when I went to undergrad, I was the 84th J. Smith in the system, <laughs> so, so they just randomly assigned me, uh, or I guess not randomly, but assigned me J. Smith 84 as my as my login name, and then I just used that for things, because it was, like, whatever, and so uh, it ended up being kind of just, like, a funny thing, whatever, so, yeah,
0: yeah. that's very different than the story of the Golden Blazer, who like uh, f- was trying to anagram his name. Yeah, thought <laughs> like a month on his username
1: and all yeah. the things. I've got, but the, I, I've got the two extremes. My my two main usernames and everything are uh, just the generic J eighty four is what I use for some poker sites, and then uh, the other side is uh, Whiskey Deck. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, and you can you can they can follow my Twitch. I do. I do stream from time to time. More lately, I've just been streaming like Jackbox games late at night and stuff like that, just to mess around. But I, I may, particularly with the uh, bracelet stuff coming up, uh, I every once in a while I get the itch to stream again. So I may stream some uh, from time to time. On why there. is it? Why is it gone away? Uh, I think the biggest thing was. I, had, I set out to accomplish a goal in getting partnered. I did do that, and I lost some of the drive with it. And again, that's when I was playing recreationally. Uh, now that I play for a living, it's really difficult for... And I'm going to try to figure out a way around this. I'm going to maybe get like a stream deck uh, and try and play around with that. But I can't... Uh, I basically have only ever really been able to effectively six table while streaming, and I played 12 tables mostly. So I'm losing a lot a lot of it not only am i giving away information and not paying less attention because the chat and everything i'm also just giving away a ton of equity so um if i if i try to play like smaller sessions and stuff like that i and i've, I've considered just going live later in the night when i'm down to fewer tables and stuff but i don't know i, I don't fully I, I enjoy it but I, I just don't i just don't have the drive so it's i kind of think like- i said i think i set out to accomplish I set out, I accomplished what I set out to. And then there's that ceiling that I talked about with being a U.S. facing player. But if I play the bracelet events, you know, you could get a thousand or 2000 viewers if you have to do one of those. So that, that would be something maybe cool that I
0: would be interested in. But well, get it, man. I'll put the, the Twitch and the sure. Twitter in the show notes and man, it's been a, it's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Come back on. In a year or so, back when the world opens up, and you know you're playing the tag mm-hmm. team playing events life, the poker period. again, yeah, doing right on, the brother. thing that that you moved to Vegas to do, right? Right, yeah. Right on, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker and Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.